Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. Would you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? We're going to be in verse 22, and we'll also be in Matthew chapter 22. We'll start in verse 36 there. And if you have the Nova Community Church app, the sermon notes are there with most of the scriptures uh, printed right in there. And then also at novachurch.org, you'll find some sermon notes there. Last week, we began a new series on Galatians chapter 5 entitled Fruitful. We talked about what it means to live your life in the spirit rather than living your life in the flesh. And what we'll do in this series is we'll take a look at each of the facets of the fruit of the spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And before we get into that, I want to take a step back a little bit and do a quick overview on why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this group of really house churches in this area of Asia Minor called Galatia. The key verse in the whole letter is found in chapter 5 in verse 1. And Paul writes this, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let me just talk about that just a little bit. The Galatians started their relationship with God with a freedom in Christ. There was just such freedom that they had that was different than their legalistic past. But at the time of the writing of this letter, Paul learns that they've returned to this false gospel that's based on rule following and good works. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says this, Against such things there is no law. There is no rule following with these things. He's not saying you've got to work really hard to get these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in you. He's not saying that at all. He's saying there's a freedom in all of this. So if you're trying to be good enough today, if you're, if you're trying to live up to standards that someone or even yourself, you imposed on yourself, if you're trying to be moral enough out of a belief that being moral and being good and living up to high standards will earn you acceptance with God, then you're producing works of the flesh. On the other hand, if you understand the gospel of grace, through Jesus Christ, we are accepted fully through his death on the cross, and our sins are forgiven. And when you trust in Jesus, God looks on your life as righteous, so that we are fully accepted by God right now. Right now. And because of Jesus, we're free. And the outflow of our lives is, when we're free, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You are accepted because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And as you live a life of grateful joy and obedience to God, then you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. The facets of the fruit of the Spirit are the communicable attributes of God. We talked about this last week. 
we understand communicable with the COVID-19, that when we get close to God, when we get in intimate contact with God, then we'll catch some of these communicable attributes of God. They'll be They'll, they'll bloom in us. It's important to keep in mind, though, this, that the word fruit here in fruit of the Spirit in the original language is singular. It's fruit. It's, it's singular. It's not fruits, fruits of the Spirit. In the English language, fruit, unfortunately, fruit can be thought of as sometimes singular and sometimes plural. And so if you are, if English is not your first language here today, let me apologize on behalf of all English speakers that that's a problem with fruit being both singular and plural. Each of these aspects of the faith, of, of, of the fruit, the, the, the facets of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those nine are part of, well, I think you can kind of think of it as a diamond. Now, some of you have diamond earrings or a diamond pendant or a diamond ring and if you have one of those i don't want to draw too much attention to your expensive jewels but would you like point to it and other people look around and say oh that's a diamond because i want that to remind you your diamond the diamond you wear i want that to remind you of the facets of the fruit of the spirit when you look into any of the facets of a diamond you can see the rest of the stone in each of the aspects or the facets of the fruit of the Spirit are connected to one another. And only the Holy Spirit can bring them all together in the life of a Christian. Over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at, in order, each of the facets of the fruit of the Spirit. And today, today, let's start with the first one. Let's talk about love. You know, over the last six months, there's been a lot of layers of disruption and disturbance a lot of layers of it of course we have the layer of of COVID-19 it's the thick layer that kind of follows us around wherever we go almost like a dark cloud in our lives and then we have the layer of politics we talked about this last week that everything seems to be political everything you can tie to something political in our life and so that's kind of a pretty thick layer in our lives right now and then there's the high-profile, deadly and violent hate crimes that have taken place throughout our nation. And that's, that's casting a, 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 a thick layer upon us these days. Then there's the peaceful protests. And then there's the destructive and violent protests. And then there's the divisions and the polarization, among other things, that are just layered upon layer upon layer upon layer in our life. And today we're talking about love. When we talk about love, especially from the scripture, you've got to get to that classic scripture. We call it the locus classicus of love in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most weddings will have some sort of a reading in that regard. And the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. 
if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, we're, we're nothing. We're sort of a resounding gong. We're a clanging cymbal. And when we hear something from someone and we disagree with them with all of these layers that are cast upon our lives these days, and we want to give our opinion on some issue, our tendency is to speak out. And if you speak out without love, I want you to know how you sound. My opinion on who should win the election for the President of the United States is I think it should be like Donald Trump or Joe Biden, and I can't believe that they do that. If, if, if they should win and we should go out and vote. You know, the way you sound when you start to complain and to talk about the way the government is handling restrictions on the coronavirus is you say, you know, my opinion on how the government is dealing with the coronavirus is I can't believe that they're doing this and we want to meet in that church and I don't want to wear a mask anymore and you got to stay apart from me. You know the way, my opinion of the way they're dealing with law enforcement and with racial injustice in this world? I can't believe that to do that to those people in the, the protest and the killing and the, the knee on the neck, I just can't believe that. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. In verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, finish this with me, and the greatest of these is love. The first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, when I was in college for two years and two summers, for two summers, I was a camp director for a camp for the physically and the intellectually challenged. And what we would do on a Sunday is we would, we would uh, uh, worship together, uh, the counselors would, and then we would go buy supplies and get ready for Monday morning early, we would go to camp. And so we bought supplies, but the darn store didn't have oil. And we needed cooking oil to uh, make crispy tacos at camp. And we needed a gallon of it. 
So on Monday morning, we're packing everything up, and where we were going, you couldn't buy a gallon of oil. I mean, you'd have to buy a bunch of little bottles of it, and it was going to be really expensive. And so we were packing everybody up in vans, and there were two high school interns just sitting there or standing there kind of looking uncomfortable, didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. And I knew we needed a gallon of cooking oil, and I knew Smart and Final just opened. So I took out my wallet, and I put $20 in their hand. I said, hey, can you go to Smart and Final and pick us up a gallon of cooking oil? That 20 bucks is going to be more than enough, and then you could pick up whatever you want after that with the rest. And they said, okay, and they took off, came back, and what they brought me was two big boxes. One box was filled, maybe 100 pieces, of double bubble bubble gum. The second box had about 50 Tootsie Pops in it. And then they brought me a little bottle of oil. And I said, well, what? why did you do that? I wanted a gallon of oil. They said, well, they didn't have a gallon there. And I said, well, why did you buy the gum and the candy? And they said, you know, we thought the drive to Yosemite Valley was so long that the candy will help the time go by faster. And I thought, well, okay, well, that makes kind of sense to a high school intern, I guess, at my camp. But anyways, all too often, we get distracted and lose sight of the main thing. And so I want us to take a look at the scriptures today to see what Jesus calls the main thing. In Matthew chapter 22, we find that there were some very religious leaders, some religious people who were trying to trap and test Jesus. And they wanted him to make a mistake, so they asked him a question they thought was going to stump him. And we find this in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36. They said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus had, in their minds, over 600 commandments to choose from. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, this becomes right here the chief barometer. It's the main thing for a follower of Jesus and really for his church. As to what defines you as a Christian and what defines us as a church. And so questions we should ask ourselves is how are the people of Nova Community Church known to our neighbors, our neighborhoods? Are we a church that first and foremost loves God and loves people? Are we a people that are, that are focused on the main thing? Or were we sent on this mission and all we came back was big boxes of gum and candy? The main thing is this is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. The primary imperative of this statement is to love. And so let's do this. Let's take a look at our text today in Matthew chapter 22 and talk about fulfilling the greatest commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, all within this one statement, Jesus tells us, he, it, it contains the what, the who, the why, and the how concerning that love and we've already seen the what the the number one would be what is the what it's what are we to do to fulfill the greatest commandment it's to love right it's it's pretty plain and simple right here and number two is the who who do we love 
Now, Jesus also tells us in this statement the who, and he gives us three words to understand the who. It's Lord, your God. Lord, your God. That's the who. Now, God doesn't want to simply be prominent in our lives. He wants to be preeminent in our lives. Above all things, he wants our love, our affections, our worship to be greater than anything in our lives. Greater than our careers. He wants it to be greater than our hobbies and greater even than our family relationships. The first and primary object of our affections, the center of our world, things that it's, it's the, the middle thing that things orbit in our lives around. Should it, all things should revolve around our love for God. Now, who do we love? It's Lord, your God. The first word, Lord, in, in many of your Bibles, it's in all capitals, maybe small capitals, but it's the word Lord there. And, and the reason it's, 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 it's in all capitals like that is, is it, it's, it's letting you know that the Hebrew equivalent for Greek for that word Lord is Yahweh. It's the, he's the, the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh is. This is a God who's faithful to his promises and merciful to you, who's righteous and filled with grace. He's perfect in all of his affections. There's no one on the face of this earth that's more deserving of love than that kind of Lord. He's Yahweh, or Lord. The second word that we can key in on in those three is Elohim, or the word God here, Lord your God. This describes God as almighty, almighty, all-powerful, eternal, everywhere present at the same time, in the kind of God that stooped down from heaven to rescue you. And he loves us. He's not just any Lord or God. But this brings us to the why. The third is the why. He's your God. And this becomes very interesting because he's not just some sort of abstract phenomena out there that we kind of meditate on and, and worship on. Sort of like, he's not like a piece of art at an art gallery or an art museum that you just kind of, hmm, and just contemplate like that. He's very personal, personal. He's our God, Lord, your God. He says to love the Lord, your God. He, he's the one who's faithful to us. And so many of us have this, a story of the personal the personal nature of the love that God has. Maybe God answered a specific prayer request in a loving and caring and personal way in your life. And when you think about your story, it's not just that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's your Savior. It's not that Jesus is the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God that took away your sins. And so our lives are filled with God's faithfulness to us because he's so personal in our lives. We're to love him above all else because he's loved us better than anyone else, more eternally, more faithfully, more than anyone else. 
No one on the face of this earth loved us, has loves, loved us like God loves us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the writer, he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If it weren't for Jesus Christ being the model of love for us, he's our model, he's our example. He died for us. He took on human flesh for us. He rose from the dead for us. And when none of us deserved it, we would not even know what love is all about unless it was for Jesus because he is our model and our example for love. And so we find here the what, it's love, and, and the, the who, it's, it's Lord and God. And it's why? Because he's your God. And the fourth is how. And this, this passage, is, is, it breaks it down so simple. It's the first way that you're to love God is with all your heart, with all your emotion, with, with all of your affection, unreservedly worship. And many of us, that's our worship. That's our expression of worship. That we stand and we sometimes close our eyes. Sometimes we open our eyes. Sometimes we raise our hands and we sing out to him and we call out to him. It's our, it's our worship. It's, it's with all of our heart. You don't have to guard your heart when it comes to God. Like you have to guard your heart sometimes when, it, when it's in a a human relationship, when you're not even sure how this thing's going to really end, you don't have to guard your heart with God. The first way is to love God with all your heart. The second is we love him with all of our soul. The Greek word here for soul is interesting. It's It's the word breath. And it's that same word when God breathed into the nostrils of the first human in the Garden of Eden and gave him life. It's with all of your soul. And so the idea is you're to love God with every ounce of you, your soul, your your will, your purpose. The very trajectory of our lives should be all about him and, and for love for him. Everything about this defines who we are as we love him with all of our soul in adoration and affection for him. We love him with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. In our world, in our culture today, there's just sort of this godless. This sociologists are calling America and, and other countries in the world a post-Christian culture, where where it's like after all of this, and 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 there's a godless way that our current culture and our world thinks about life, but we don't think that way. Because we love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, Whatever is noble, and whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, let your mind, let your mind dwell on these things about God. So it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. It's incredibly difficult to love God this way. I mean, you you read that you 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 read this scripture and you you hear me talk and you go, "You know what, Dean? That sounds great. Thanks for thanks for 
parsing up that text for us, Dean, and, and explaining it the way you, you did, but it's not really that easy, is it? How difficult it is to love God unreservedly with everything he deserves. It's so incredibly difficult in these sort of closing moments here. I just want to make it real practical and, and I would like to just sort of talk about love in real practical terms. So if you find yourself at a place in your life where your love for God has seen better days, let's get real practical about this. Let's, let's get back to all of this. And so in your notes, I have this section just called Cultivating a Relationship with God. And, and this is really Relationship 101. This is really all about how to grow any relationship, but we're going to specifically talk about God here. And we're just going to look at it in three different ways, all starting with T, so it'll kind of help you remember. The first is time. In any relationship, you got to have time with that other person, with God. And so it's time spent getting to know God. Now, I want this to be, because a lot of you right away, you go right in your mind, you say, you know what, i got to study the Bible more, right away. And you know what, I'm not saying that that's not a, a good way, but what I want you to really understand is it's going to take some time. Like any relationship, it takes time with God. Just spend time getting to know God. And if your mind immediately went to, I need to study the Bible more, let me suggest this. Let me suggest maybe having your Bible in your hand, but how about opening the window and just kind of staring out the window, just maybe going to a the Nova lawn area or go to a park or go to the beach or or whatever, and just kind of spend time with God, just thinking about Him, reflecting on God. Then you have your Bible, start to read about God, and then reflect and meditate on what you just read. Spending time talking about God with friends or with your small group. How about worshiping? You know, pointing your... your um, your uh, your playlist into worship songs and just worship him and spending time with God maybe serving God but really it really just focused on God not on people and relationships with other humans just really just God relationship 101 is you got to spend time with someone to cultivate cultivate that relationship with him number two is talk of course relationship 101 time and talk that's what's going to grow a relationship but with god it's of course prayer communication it's spending time not just reading praying through a list of of a request not just to supplicate but to spend time how about in gratitude with thanksgiving maybe instead of writing a list of requests write a list of gratitude write write a list of thanksgiving towards god and then Write a list of things that you want to praise God for, who he is, the attributes of God. And then spend time even praying and singing. How about spending some time just being quiet and listening to God? Time, talk, and the third is truth. It's understanding and obedient to the truth of God. And you'll find the truth of God in the Bible, in the scriptures, in the word of God, through the Bible. 
So you need to find teaching, come here on Sundays, hear good preaching, learn, take notes, go to a small group, talk about God, talk about understanding, applying, and being obedient to the Word of God. If you want to cultivate a love relationship with God, it's going to take time, it's going to take talk, and it's going to take truth. I want to close with just a story about the Father's love. And this story is uh, always really emotional for me when I read it, when I talk about it, when I preach about it. It's a story of the lost son. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. And I want to leave you with this story because I want you to think about the father's love here. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. I just want to stop there and think. What's going on in your mind if you were the lost son and you're walking that long road back home with empty pockets and starving, probably dirty and tired, exhausted? I'm thinking as I put myself in the place of that son, the first thing I'm thinking is, I'm such an idiot. That's the first thing I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm such a failure. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself, what was I thinking? And then I start to think, what's my dad thinking? And what will my dad do when he sees me? What will he say to me when he sees me? Will he accept me back? Will he say to me, I told you so? And does my dad still love me? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And I got to always stop there, and I always have to think, those words, while he was a long way off, 
the Father saw him. And I think, in my mind, I imagine the Father sort of looking out the window down that long road that leads to their home. And just, just hoping that one day he'll see his son walk down that road. And when his father saw him, he was filled with compassion. And then I see these words that he ran. I don't know if there's any other place in the scripture where you could read the words that God ran. But he ran. And he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his bare feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son, this daughter of mine, was dead, and they're alive again. And they were lost, and now that they are found. And so, they begin to celebrate. This is the Father's heart for you. The love that he has for you. For this son of mine, this daughter of mine, was dead and is alive again. And he was lost, she was lost, but is now found, and they celebrated. Amen.